Greetings from New Hampshire. How many of you have ever even been in New Hampshire? Let me see your hands. Very good. We still had about, I don't know, four or five inches of snow on the ground when I left to come here. And it's slowly dissipating, but I hear we're going to get another foot or so soon. So it's part of living in New England. It's a cold, cold, cold area. Uh, also, it's kind of cold to God. And that's the joy of being there. It really, really is because they need Jesus. The kids need the Lord. They really, really do. I got to thank you right up front. When I started hearing some of the years that you guys have faithfully pastored, I mean, I heard 34 and 24 and 36 and 112, and, and I, I heard these different numbers. And, and honestly, just the faithfulness that you guys have had to the Lord. So what will all the people and all the teens and all the kids and all the young couples and all the moms and all the dads, what will they remember about you guys? You ever think about that? What will they remember? And this is a time of encouragement, and when I think of encouragement, I I have to go to the old 100. It's one of the most precious psalms And I think one of the reasons I love this, I still preach in an awful lot of Christian schools. And when you go to a Christian school around Thanksgiving time, all the little kids show up and they're dressed up like pilgrims or they're dressed up like Indians and they line up across the front and you know what they do? They quote the old 100. Let's do it all together. Ready? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all. Have you ever, ever wondered what people remember about you? When I think back through life and pastors that have impacted my life in different ways, I remember at the age of six, we're sitting in a service. My family was in church at that time. And I just remember that that preacher said that God would forgive me of all my sins if I would ask him. That's simple. And I leaned over to my dad. I said, can I go get saved? He said, no, you don't understand. I knew I was a sinner. Now, I was raised in the era that you never question any authority. And so I didn't go forward. But I tell you what, when the service was over, he didn't say I couldn't get saved. He said I couldn't go forward. I ran to the lobby, and I found that pastor. I still remember, can you show me? how God will forgive me. I just wanted God to forgive me. And we went up in the choir loft about seven rows. And I remember being on my knees and and trusting the Lord uh, at that time. Then it was eight. The next pastor, he had an affair with a piano player. And uh, they ran off, and that was my mom. And I still remember just shaking my head and saying, "I, I thought he was a preacher why why would a preacher do that so I was raised by my grandparents and um, and my granddad was an alcoholic my grandma was sweet I'll tell you more about her in a bit but I 
had trusted Christ when I was six. And the Spirit of God lived within. And I was one of those kids, and even our little pet and toy parade, at a young, young age, eight, nine, I would fill my wagon up with dirt, and I went to the woods, and I cut three trees, small trees, and I made three crosses. And I put them in that wagon, and I pulled that through our little town. And then I found some people who were driving by our house that would pick me up and take me to church. Early bus ministry, okay? That was in Berwick, Pennsylvania, and it was Pastor Bob Lancaster and a guy named Arden. And they had a Bible conference, and, and because I would just show up, and I did. I had a heart for God, and I loved to sing. And I guess he heard me singing, and I still remember. Here's this little kid, nine years of age. He pulls me up and puts a little stool next to me, and we sang a song they don't sing anymore. Coming again, coming again. Remember that? I hope the Lord comes real soon. At age 12, my father got married again. We started another church, and that pastor was Pastor Longnecker, and he had 12 kids, and his son and I used to time how long he would pray every service. He had some long ones. Pastor Ed was a pastor that just, oh, one of the most loving guys. He was old, probably about 140, okay? And, and uh, he was preaching away, and he was getting excited. And this was at my girlfriend's church, but all of a sudden he said something, and his false teeth flew right out of his mouth. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And as they did, he was making a gesture. He hit them, and they went up and landed right in the flower pot. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And the guy finished preaching. When he finished, he walked down, reached in, stuck him back in, and went on his way. That's what I remember. Then I was really searching, and um, back in that day, there was a guy who just lived in the area, and uh, he would have Bible studies with, like, with Youth for Christ, and I'd fill my little Mustang with as many kids as we could get in that thing and go to Bible studies. But I was looking for something real. I was looking for somebody that really loved God. And I remember going to my pastor then, a different pastor, Haman, I said, do we have any men in our church that like really love God? He says, not that I know of. It's sad, but it was true. And I just lived up in that area that just, everything seemed to be pretend. Well, my girlfriend invited me to her church, and by the way, I married that girlfriend. We've been married for 44 years, and I played trumpet. I was first chair, first uh, trumpet in our band, public school, and there were these guys who play brass instruments from some school named Bob Jones or something like that, okay? I'd never heard of it, but they came to her church, and I thought, man, these guys are good. And we went out and had pizza with two of them. I was 16, it was 1972. And I still remember racing home in my Mustang, dropping to my knees and saying, God, could, could maybe you make me like one of them? Now, this was 1972, and I was so enamored by these guys because, number one, they had short hair. And in 1972, we didn't have short hair, okay? I went to Bob Jones University. I'd never been there. There's no internet. I didn't know anything hardly about it. And I had cleaned myself up, I thought, and I got there, and things had changed, but I, they wouldn't even let me check in. I was a total redneck. I had the boots, the belt buckles, the mullet. I was a total redneck, okay? 
So I got cleaned up, and they let me in, and I had a math teacher named Mr. Poa. And this guy would always start first hour, first class, and he would start with a blessing he got out of Second Kings. I, w- I wasn't even sure how to find that in the Bible, but I thought this guy would get a blessing out of Second Kings. And then there was an old preacher named Walter Burrow. If you've ever seen the film Sheffy, he was actually not Sheffy, but the preacher in that film. And we connected, and this guy just said, I'll take a hold of you. I'll take you under my arm. Three and a half years while I was at Bob Jones, I was his youth pastor. We'd crawl underneath his porch on Sunday afternoons, pray together. He was real. I got to play my trumpet for his funeral. He's in heaven, and what a dear, dear man. And then there was a Bible teacher at college. His name was Jesse Boyd. Jesse Boyd had convictions about things that weren't even in the Bible, okay? (laughs) He was a man of conviction, big man, okay? A big man and walked real, real slow. And I just loved his Bible classes because I wanted wanted to learn from somebody that had strong conviction. And, And I was a plumber getting through school, heading to the mission field to be a plumber and help with their music. I had my life all figured out. I never even thought I would ever be preacher or camp. None of that was ever in my mind. But this guy, I just saw, oh. And I took an extra three hours every semester, all eight semesters, I took a course from him. And academically, I did very, very poorly. But I learned a lot from him and his Bible classes. I was talking to his wife after he went to be with the Lord. He got that Lou Gehrig's disease, and when he got it, he went downhill very quickly. And she said, well, Rand, I, he wanted to die at home, and they had a hospital bed they brought in, and they kind of got him comfortable. And she said, I walked over just to let him rest, and I was going to go through the door, and I just looked over, and he went like this. And died. Now, why did I tell you all of those stories? I'm sharing with you specific memories, some funny, some a blessing, some hurt, of of the different preachers and teachers that had an incredible impact in my life. And as much as we don't like to admit it, the teens, the families, the elderly who come to our churches, they will forget what we say, but they will not forget what we are. They remember your spirit. They remember your attitude. So as we look at a psalm like Psalm 100, it says, make a joyful noise, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Could my ministry be described by someone who's known for joyfulness, gladness, and singing? This is Bible. Why well, be remembered as a kind, loving pastor, a a, a preacher that really, really cares, or grumpy and grumbling, and how will we be remembered? What will those people that we pour our lives into remember about us? Joyful noise is ruah. It means to mar, to break, to split with the ear. Gladness is a very interesting Hebrew word, is simcha. It comes the idea, it's actually from the countenance. It's actually a brightness of the eyes, a smiling. It's a heart that just kind of leaks out of the face, okay? It's a picture of that young bride 
when the doors open up in the back and sees the guy she's going to spend her life with. It's a joy that can be expressed in no other way. Singing, the word is rinna, and it literally means to shout. That's what it means. So when you take these and put them together, you, you get a true biblical joy, which is an uninhibited expression of delight in what God has done. Let me say that again. It is an uninhibited expression of delight in what God has done for us. Why? Why should we as preachers, preachers' wives, people that love the Lord, why should we be characterized by joyfulness, gladness, and singing? Look at verse 3. It says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. Why should my life be characterized by gladness and joy and singing? Because God made me. Say it with me. Because God made me. He made me. I was created by him, and I love the last three words, and for him. So I can spend forever and forever in his presence, honoring and loving and serving him. I can kind of do what Adam did. You know what Adam did before the fall? He worshiped, and he worked. Do you like to work? Do you like to keep busy? I do. I want to spend eternity worshiping in the cool of the day. In New England, that's all day. Okay, so he worshiped and he walked with God. God made me. I'm not intelligent, I'm not smart, but I do know how to Google. And if you know how to Google, you can pretend you're smart, okay? The world in which we live is truly an amazing and a wondrous place. It defies evolutionary explanation. It's a home to a cheetah cat that can run 70 miles an hour. Insects that can sleep for 17 years. Eight-armed ink-shooting octopus that can eat their own arms and grow new ones. I tell the kids, you never have to carry a lunch. You just got to... <laughs> And hawks that can swoop down at 150 miles per hour. There's a little tiny beetle called the bombardier beetle. It's a small insect armed with an impressive defense system. Whenever threatened by enemy attack, it mixes two chemicals together and shoots it out two tailpipes at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. The beetle makes this explosion by mixing together two very dangerous chemicals, but he also adds an inhibitor, which prevents the chemicals from blowing up and enables the beetle to storm indefinitely. So then when he is attacked at precisely the right time, he adds the anti-inhibitor, takes care of the inhibitor, and the explosion in front of the enemy. Now, if you believed in evolution, it would take him 100 years to get this timing right. And here comes, he blow himself up, okay? The sea slug lives near the seacoast. You probably know more about this than I do. Uh, by the tidal zone, it fee feeds on sea anemones. Now, sea anemones are equipped with thousands of small stinging cells that explode at the slightest touch, plunging, plunging poison harpoons into the would-be intruders. The intruder is paralyzed, drawn into an enemy's stomach to be digested. Although that is very impressive, the sea slug, somehow God made it to attack the anemones, neutralize these little barbs, put them all the way down some tubes in a sack that he carries with them. Then when he is attacked, he takes care of the aggressor with the little barbed arrows that the other guy was supposed to use against him. If God does that for a bug and a slug, just think of what he's done for us. You take, for instance, your eye. Look at the person next to you. They got an eyeball. Look at their eyeball right now. 
That thing has automatic aperture, automatic adjustment. It can focus on a mountain far away or something as small as a hair. And every night when we go to sleep, God sends an entire maintenance crew in to clean it up and get it ready for the next day. Whoa. How about that DNA stuff? Never could spell it. Certainly don't know how to say it. But I do know, according to Google, that the DNA determines the arrangement for 206 bones, 600 muscles, 10,000 auditory nerve fibers, 2 million optic nerve fibers, 100 billion nerve cells, 400 billion feet of blood, and it fits on a teaspoon. Whoa. This is what God did for us. God made me. And he made me so I can enjoy him forever. Because God made me. Psalm 139, he went into his workshop and he got all the stuff together to give you the giftedness he gave you. Some of you are great at music. Some of you are great at speaking. Some of you can work with your hands. Some of you are so logically minded you can get things done. Other people just know how to give spiritual hugs to everybody. But God made you just the way he wants to to impact the people he brings into your lives for eternity. Right where you are, in your church, God made me. And then normally we sit back and complain about the way he made me. He doesn't give us other talents that maybe we could have a more meaningful ministry or a bigger ministry and all this. Instead of just, thank you, Lord, for making me. Why should we be characterized by joyfulness and singing? Because God made me. But look at verse, the end of verse 3. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Because God saved me. God made me. God saved me. Do you remember the day when you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you remember that day? I hope you never, ever forget it. I preach to the kids at camp, thank God for saving you every single day of your life. Every day, Lord, thank you. Oh, I didn't deserve to be saved. I never deserved it. I don't now, but thank you. Thank you for loving me so much. Have you ever gotten up early in the morning or you've been studying for a message and you had kind of an explosion of spiritual desire? It's like, oh, Lord, could you like come back right now? You ever been there? Not looking for a rescue, but just because you so enjoyed being in the presence of God. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. I just so very, very much love those personal pronouns, don't you? Do you remember the day when you were overwhelmed with your wickedness and your sin and you cried out to God, okay? Just look at me here, okay? You're, I, might, I feel like I have some teens here with me, okay? Look at me on purpose, okay? You got that? Very good. We're going to be okay. Um, and being overwhelmed with, I'm a sinner, but yet Jesus died for me. Whoa, that's an amazing, amazing thing. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. I mentioned I was raised by my grandparents for many years, and uh, my grandma, she was just precious. She really was. She was a Polish woman, about 4'11", both ways. And, and she, was just, <clears throat> she was just wonderful. She was. She lived to be 96. 
But when she got in her early 80s, her mind started going and was put into a nursing home. And um, I remember it was in Tuncannock, Pennsylvania. Whenever I would leave New England to go preach somewhere, I'd always go by to see my gram, you know. And so I'd go in there and she'd put her arm through my arm and carry her purse. Always had to have her purse, okay. And we'd walk up and down the halls. I said, well, Graham, how you doing? And she'd say, life is but a dream. And I said, is the food pretty good here? She'd smile and say, life is but a dream. One time I was there, she had a new boyfriend she was kind of hanging out with. He was a lot younger. He's like 92 or something. <clears throat> and I said, I met your new friend out in the lobby. He's kind of nice. So, and what do you think of him? She goes, life is but a dream. She couldn't say anything, but life is but a dream. One time my son was with me, and I said, hey, bud, we went in the lobby. There's a piano there. I said, hey, how about playing uh, maybe one of her favorite songs? So we started playing Amazing Grace. Her eyes lit up, and all of a sudden she started going like this. She thought she was the one playing it. And she played it all the way through, and I'm smiling. I said, Graham, you did a great job. And she said, life is but a dream. I said, Josh, play your all-time favorite song, How Great Thou Art. I'm not a good singer, but I was sitting there, and I had her by the hands, and so he started to play, and I started to sing it to her. Oh, Lord, my God. And all of a sudden, she started singing with me. Every single word. All the way through the first verse, all the way through the chorus. I'm weeping. I'm saying, yes, God brought her mind back. This is wonderful. We finished the song. I said, Graham, that was wonderful. And she said, life is but a dream. I said, oh, I know that song, Row, Row, Row Your Boat, but I like this song better. She said, so do I, because it has more of God in it. I said, Graham. And she said, life is but a dream. I only saw her one more time um, before she went off into eternity. And by this time, she would sit in her wheelchair and just stare, didn't talk to anybody. And I do, I remember getting down the knee again, taking both hands, looking in her eyes, Seriously, it was like looking back tunnels of time. And I'm just smiling and talking to her, and all of a sudden she just starts shaking. And she let go of my hand, and she said, You're my people. You see, I was special to her. And she was special to me. And God even told Peter to write down for us, You're my Guys, gals, you are special to God. You're in his family. You've been adopted. Do you understand what that means? And all the inheritance and everything that is given to us that we are in Christ, adopted into the family of God? Whoa, it's an amazing thing. Why should my life be characterized by joy and gladness and singing? God made me. God saved me. So how do we express this joyfulness? Look at verse 4. Enter into his gates with what? Tell me. And into his courts with what? Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Let a kid to the Lord. He's 14, totally unchurched. We see a lot of that in New England. After understanding the gospel, we were sitting on the ground, and I said, Bud, do you, you, you want to pray and ask God to forgive you? He goes, yeah. I don't know how. So just talk to God like you're talking to me. Okay. So he crossed his arms, closed his eyes. He put his head up. He said, God, if anybody needs to be saved, I do. And he went ahead and prayed and accepted the Lord. 
but he didn't know how to end. He wasn't raised like you guys. He didn't know you're supposed to say in Jesus' name, amen, or as we pray in the name of Jesus. So he just sat there, his arms were crossed, his eyes were closed, his head was up. I looked up to see if he was done. Finally, he was going like this. And after the longest time, he went like this. Well, thank you, and looked at me. You know, we get so academic in our walk with God, so dutiful. And oh, Do you remember the last time you just said, God, thank you. Thank you for saving me. I don't deserve this. And, yet, and not only do you save me, but you give me the blessed privilege to take this gospel that I'll never be ashamed of. It is, it is the good news to share with so many how their sins can be forgiven. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. The Lord is good. All the time. What about the cancers? Heart attacks? Wayward children? Financial problems? Life is not to make us happy, it's to make us holy. We're being prepared for eternity. God could have taken us home the minute we were saved, but he didn't because he wanted something for us to learn to mature and the other people that he wanted us to impact their lives. The Lord is good. Never, ever fight against that which makes you pray more. Because our true humility to be like Jesus is total dependence on God and total dependence on God means I'm not depending on me. And it's through the valleys and through the brokenness and through the difficulties that number one, we put more of our faith and trust in God, but number two, we understand what our people are going through that really have difficulties in their lives. Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Now you guys, I know, are all wonderful, great, theologically sound, intelligent people, and maybe you've never thought this. Do you ever think that you get to heaven and maybe after, I don't know, 20, 30 years, the Lord says, now I remember what you did. I know God's a loving, forgiving God, but have you ever thought that I'm sure he's a little disappointed with me? A little bit. His love is immutable. That means he does not change. It never increases and decreases. Got that? His love, his mercy is immutable. It's unchanging. And there never has to be a fear that maybe when I get before God, he's going to tell me what I really am. There's no fear in love because true love casts out fear. Technically, in that passage, it is pointing to the thought that we are just like Jesus. God the Father looks at me like he looks at Jesus. And when I get before his presence, I don't have to fear. I do not have to be afraid at all. I don't. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to meet Jesus face to face? A number of years ago, I was in North Carolina, just there for a pastor's conference, and going to pick up one of the other speakers, and I just, ah, indigestion, didn't feel good. 
So I went home, <clears throat> did what every sane man would do, took a bottle of that pink medicine, drank half of it down, and Amber said, you ready for lunch? I said, no, I'm not feeling good. I'm going to lay down the couch a while. And what I didn't know, I was in the midst of a massive heart attack. And then finally I said, hon, I'm really not feeling good. I didn't want to scare her, but I knew something bad was happening. So I called the nurse. She said, there's a bug going around. I said, this is more than a bug. So she met us, and she did. She gave me just a little thing of nitroglycerin. She said, if you start to feel like you're going to go, you got to take one of these. And it took three of them to get to Brevard. They put me in an ambulance. Went to Asheville, North Carolina, code blue, we're losing him, he's going, he's going, and, and what happened, I had a blood clot that busted loose and went to the top of the heart, we're close to that Widowmaker thing, and they raced me into that hospital, and I'm serious, by the time we got there, it wasn't 20 seconds. They had me on the gurney, four or five men racing around, they stuck something up my leg, it was like a camera, and, and there's a big flat screen TV, and they're looking all around my heart. Now. They kept saying, we're losing him, he's going, he's going. And all of a sudden, it hit me, I'm going to die. I don't know if you've ever been in that place. You can't really prepare for it. And what do you think about when you're going to die? Now, when I was 16, I had a sweet 65 Mustang, 17-inch wheels in the back, 13 on the front. Backseat had these huge speakers to play my Christian music. Anyway, it was a wonderful car. Back in those days, we knew how to dress. We had platform shoes. I'd put those babies on. I was six foot two, okay? <laughs> about this far in the I had blue and white ones. And I tell you, you won't remember a car you drove or any clothes you wear. You're going to remember the people that you love. And I'm thinking, oh, my Anna, she had just gotten married a month before. Okay, she'll be taking care of Josh. Oh, bless their heart. They were married 10 years, couldn't have kids. And now they were expecting I thought, well, I'll see the little guy in heaven. I thought, poor Amber, my wife. And I don't know why I thought this. I thought, oh, poor Amber, I don't even have my taxes done yet. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> I did think about New England kids, and I'd only been there two years. And I said, oh, Lord, I have all these plans and stuff. And then I'm telling you, it hit me. And I'm just as normal and basic as they come. I thought, I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to cry. Do you shake his, I'm just going to cry. Do you give him a hug? I'm thinking, mm -mm, I'm going to cry. I'm going to fall before him and weep. And all, I was like this close to seeing the Lord. And I heard one of those surgeons say, there it is. They found the blood clot. And they literally stuck a vacuum cleaner type thing up there and sucked it out. I could feel the blood go poof. My first thought was, stink. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know, I am so thankful for that time. Because you know what God has done? He has given me 10 more summers with kids in New England. 10 more falls. I've had the privilege to dig into the Word of God and write some Bible study helps and do daily meditations that hundreds and hundreds of kids do every single day. And just what a privilege God has given me. I'm telling you, His mercy is everlasting. He is good. His truth endures all generations. You're going to see Jesus someday. So am I. We are his people. And even knowing that the truth endures to all generations, I'm sure some of you, like me, we look at our churches, we look at the lack of pastors, we look and go, what's happening? Gets a little scary, doesn't it? Wait a minute. God's going to build his church. He's going to do it. Got it? 
And if this is indicative of the last times, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, all right? I'm kind of hoping the last chapter of the Bible is 22, and this is 2022, and this is the last chapter. I'm kind of hoping that, okay? I didn't set a date, okay? But when you look forward to the Lord's return and you learn to thank him for saving you every day, and you know he is good and his mercy is everlasting, his truth endures to all generations, then you look at life and say, wow, Lord, just thank you for making me and giving me the opportunity to enjoy all this. And thank you for saving me. What will your church people remember about you? Let's bow our heads and pray, please. Father, this simple truth is very convicting for all of us. Because we know how to preach the doctrine and tell them what is right. We're really good at telling them reproof from what is wrong. But sometimes the correction and then how to keep it right, that instruction in righteousness. It's sometimes easier to preach than to do. And we know oft times, Father, we, we, we do love our people that we serve, but sometimes they don't know us because we get so burdened and overwhelmed with all the issues and the problems. And Lord, please help us to be remembered for our joyfulness, our singing, our gladness. Help us, Lord, <clears throat> to be thankful for the calling that you've given us to be able to stand in a pulpit and every Sunday and every Wednesday encourage people to know you better and love you more. Thank you for that, dear Lord. I thank you for this time together. We know it's on purpose. And I thank you again for the, the many, many years of faithfulness by so many of these pastors and my pastors' wives. And just thank you. And I know that even this area of the country is different because of what, the, what you have done through them here. Thank you for that. But would you help us to be a little bit more joyful? To sing more? Can you help us that that gladness will be so evident on our faces, people would almost want to ask us what's going on? Thank you, dear Lord, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Brother Dan.